Hi, everyone. This is Anthony Diaz with the Pop Health Show. And this show is for anyone that has a strong passion for making other people healthier in this world or out of this world. <laughs> Actually, today we have on the show someone I've been really excited and enthused to, to have on for a while. It's Dr. J.D. Polk. Dr. J.D. Polk is with NASA. So he is the chief health and medical officer with NASA. But most importantly, uh, we'll go deep on some interesting topics, one of which I'm, I'm sure you know, our listeners have been um, you know, interested to, to, to go a little bit deeper on when it comes to space and, and uh, you know, interspace travel. But um, J.D., I don't want to steal your thunder. Welcome to the show and great to have you on. Oh, thanks, Anthony. It's great to be here. I appreciate it. Yeah, no, th thank you. Thank you, J.D. And um, so super fascinating, idealistic role that you're in. Um, a, a lot of kids aspire to, you know, work for NASA and to do what you're doing. But take us back. Take us to your origin story. What are the series of events that got to where you're at today? Oh, wow. I, I guess, uh, you know, d depending on how far we want to go back, uh, you know, you could probably go back to uh, watching Dr. McCoy on, on uh, TV, right? Uh, but uh, thinking if I wanted oh, to yeah. com somehow combine medicine and space, but uh, where I really got my start um, after emergency medicine residency, I, I uh, was also in the Air Force Reserve. And part of my duty was to do uh, search and rescue and support for space shuttle missions. And uh, with each shuttle launch and landing, we'd have uh, several helicopters on standby, ready to go rescue the crew in case there was an anomaly on the vehicle. And that's how I first got introduced to NASA and then uh, became aware that they had an opening and uh, then worked for one of the contractors going back and forth to Russia, supporting the astronauts uh, and their health care medically in uh, what was called Star City, Russia. And that's where the astronauts, you know, we... we do about 50% of the training in Russia and 50% in the U.S. for the International Space Station. And that's how I first got my start. And uh, I just kept climbing up the ladder, unfortunately, for me, because that takes me further away from uh, a lot of the operations, uh, the, the fun things that flight surgeons get to do, the, the flying around in T-38s and diving in the pool with the crew. Uh, and so now I'm, I'm doing policy and management and technical oversight of multiple vehicles. It's still a ton of fun uh, working in the Beltway, not nearly as operational as when I first started out. Uh, but I think that's the uh, that's the hazards of learning to do how to you know how to do a budget and uh, leadership, and you just keep climbing. Amen, amen. No, this is awesome. This is great, and a really super exciting background series of events that have led you to where you're at today. Um, JD, can you tell us a little bit about? some of the topics in health that that really has your passion that really captures your attention maybe if you want to choose like one or two of those those subjects in health and just tell us a little bit more and then you know obviously you bring a, a interesting perspective so just love to just to listen to you a little bit more on, on on some things that have you passionate in health today well the one thing anthony i think that has really been impressed upon me here at nasa you know as we looked at countermeasures for the astronauts as you know, in, in microgravity, uh, they offload their bones, and so they they have some bone loss. Uh, they have some muscle atrophy. Uh, the fluid shifts up into the thorax and head, so they have a, an increase in, in intracranial pressure or optic nerve edema, and 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 you know some other things that occur due to microgravity. They're subjected to radiation, mm. all of these things. But a lot of our countermeasures uh, are not uh, what I would call highly sophisticated 
NASA technology type things. Most of them harken back to plain uh, exercise and diet. And so those would be things that, uh, you know, really were impressed upon me is that, you know, making sure the astronauts have vitamin D, making sure they've got resistive exercise. That's been really important for the uh, bone health, especially the resistive exercise. So Wolf's Law still applies even in space. And so a lot of things that we tell our patients as they get older here on the ground about diet and exercise to maintain their health. Uh, of their bones and their muscle, uh, just apply to astronauts as well. And it's, and it's amazing when we can see the metrics and the changes uh, because we measure all of those in the astronauts. And to see those changes occur, uh, you know, due to diet and exercise and, and even things like uh, radiation, uh, mm-hmm. there are antioxidants and things that can help promote and protect uh, the human body uh, through diet uh, and also uh, exercise strengthening uh, so a lot of those precursors uh, that help protect uh, the astronaut in space. So it, uh, that's probably one of the biggest things that I find impactful. Nice, nice. And 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 then what would you say to like you know say like I wanted to become an astronaut and partake in some of you know your advice of like uh, you know radiation prevention or you know optimizing myself for you know, my musculoskeletal system so it can withstand space. Like what are some preparatory things? Or maybe maybe I don't want to go to space. Maybe I just want to learn from you and just hear about, you know, some good daily and weekly, you know, nutrition and physical habits and activities that I should be partaking in just for optimal health. <laughs> yeah, and I, I tell you what, we had probably 16,000 people apply for the astronaut corps on this last go round. Mm. Um, and we're selecting 10. So as you can imagine, uh, these folks are the, the top of their class. They're the top of their class academically. Mm-hmm. They're the top of their class physically. Um, and usually, you know, our standards are set in two different ways. Uh, our standards are much stricter uh, in the beginning to get into the astronaut corps mm-hmm. than they are to stay in the astronaut corps. And the reason for that being is that, you know, let's say you've got a history of uh, chronic kidney stones. Well, that that could be a problem uh, taking you into the astronaut core uh, initially is because of that bone loss and the calcium going through the kidneys. You might be predisposed to kidney stones uh, versus after I've spent millions of dollars training you as an astronaut. If you had a kidney stone, I'm not kicking you out. So right. Uh, we have some standards that are based on health and, and most of it based on a risk assessment for uh, what could cause an end to the mission or increased risk to the patient uh, due to the changes in space physiology. And then uh, you know, we have a, another set of standards on what do we need to do to keep these astronauts optimized and healthy throughout their career. And you'd be surprised all the things that we will find and fix. We have a a massive preventive medicine program that uh, really, you know, looks under every part of the hood for the astronaut. And mm-hmm. uh, the nice, the nice thing about those is we'll find things early and fix them and prevent uh, sequela that might not show up for normally for 10 or 20 years. And that's caused the astronauts to have a, a very robust and healthy long life as well. Mm. And we, we actually see the astronauts until they die. So we do a surveillance program, even after they leave NASA, where they'll come and get their physical and and uh, do evaluations at uh, the Johnson Space Center annually. Mm. Um, and it's it's been good for us to surveil them from a long-term standpoint, 
to see what those preventive medicine measures and, and where the impacts are and what's worked well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was super interesting, JD. And what would you say, like uh, on the inverse of that, you know, what would you say that the the daily and weekly habits are of an astronaut that that is in the program that is an astronaut of yours that you know what did, what do they eat on a weekly basis? What do, how do they physically work out? I mean, are they running miles every day? Are they eating fistfuls of kale? Um, and, and they're meditating like four hours a day. Like I could imagine their regimen to stay in good optimal working order to to make you know, themselves in a space, they have, there's some common trends you see. Do you see any? Yeah. I mean, they're, they're very type A, highly motivated individuals and they Mm -hmm. don't want to do anything to jeopardize their, their ability to fly in space. And so Mm -hmm. they do take very good care of themselves. We have an astronaut gym at the Johnson Space Center with astronaut strength conditioning and rehabilitation specialists that actually help them uh, devise their exercise regimen, their program based on their body type. Um, And there are certain things that we'll work on to prevent injuries. Uh, We might uh, increase shoulder exercises, for example, knowing that the shoulder is Mm going to get a heavy workout in a spacesuit, doing certain uh, mobility and and exercises when you're doing a spacewalk. And so those, yeah, we'll, we'll tailor some of the exercise regimen based on the job as well. But uh, they're pretty fit individuals, and they, uh, you know, obviously we don't have a, a lot of uh, folks that smoke or have habits that uh, are deleterious to their health because they, uh, they, they are very motivated to stay healthy in order to mm-hmm. execute their mission. Interesting. JD, you hit upon something like type A personality, right? And so I can imagine there's a physical element, you know, I mean, I'm sure it's not as easy as like, you know, NASA or anyone cloning, uh, you know, a top athlete like Zion Williamson or, or Lionel Messi, right? Um, but, it, it, you know, there's psychological personality elements. Um, I don't know if you're free to say, but, you know, how, how are that criteria factor? And are you looking for always like certain traits of like personality, self-control, like measuring self-control, measuring discipline, measuring you know, my, mindfulness and psyche, you know, proneness for, you know, uh, trauma or micro trauma, you know, obviously like mental resilience is a big theme that hospital CEOs on this show talk a lot about and how the, the mindfulness and mental aspect and resilience and personality, there's a lot still left to be uncovered there, but any, any thoughts or comments on, on the mind? Yeah, it actually starts right at selection of the astronauts. Uh, mm. There are several things that the psychologists and psychiatrists will be looking for, uh, group dynamics. Uh, you know, if you're that person that everybody wants to vote off the island by the end of the week, uh, you know, chances are you're probably not somebody that they want to put in the spacecraft for six <laughs> months. So we can't get away from so that may make good to eat, though, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So they do. I mean, you you think about, uh, you know, my wife and I uh, might get on each other's nerves being in a small car driving four days across the country. But right. you're going to be in a spacecraft uh, for six months with uh, a couple of folks that you can only get so far away from. And and so it does play a role and it'll play an even bigger role as we get into the exploration missions where the crew has to be more autonomous, leadership skills and resilience are paramount. Uh, you know, the Mars missions, for example, it's going to take six months to get to Mars. You're going to be on the surface of Mars for 18 months waiting for Mars and Earth to line up again mm-hmm. and then six months back. So that's almost two and a half, close to three years 
uh, away from Earth and with that small subgroup of people. Mm. Um, so the ability to, uh, you know, tolerance of, uh, you know, of different folks and how they, uh, how their attitudes might uh, change from yours, mm. leadership, resilience, uh, all of those things uh, come into play on an exploration mission. But they have throughout time. If you go back and look at uh, Shackleton's, uh, you know, what he wrote uh, back for the uh, expeditions in the Antarctic, and uh, you look at, um, you know, what Dr. Cook wrote and uh, his journal from some of the uh, sea voyages back then. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is not really a new thing. It's, it's right. We treat it like it's new science, but if you look at at all of those exploration missions on deep sea voyages in the early days, some of those same things come out in the journals for uh, Shackleton and, and Cook and others. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, J.D., this is, this is really super interesting. Um, I mean, along those lines, so screening for obviously, you know, physical durability, um, you know, stamina, but the mental aspect, the personality dynamics and making sure the right personality mix is, you know, result to, you know, group, great group dynamics, especially in, you know, in close quarters and making sure those relationships and, you know, can be harvested. And so lots of dynamics to screen for. I can understand why the, why, you know, it's the get, to get the thread through the needle, you know, for, from a candidate perspective is, uh, so slim. Um, JD, tell us a little bit about, you know, so tell us your vision of the future when it comes to healthcare, which, which is probably a great area. I'd love to spend a few more minutes uh, or a lot, a lot of time on, but I want to be respectful of your time, but tell us about human beings and and reaching space. What, what, how should we be thinking about space for the next like hundred years, even 50 years? Um, I mean, you know, there's people out there that are like, man, we need to get to Mars because we need to live in Mars in 50 years or, you know, in the next thousand years, we need to probably get to Andromeda, right? Because there's so many Earth-like planets there and we need to start figuring out how we get there. Uh, There's thoughts on, you know, maybe our human bodies, the way they are right now, they're not radiation proof, they're not durable, they're dependent on certain nutrients and certain mobility and certain, you know, lots of dimensions there. Not to get into science fiction geeky stuff, but maybe I would love for you to elaborate on how you view the future of like from from a health perspective. A human being perspective. Oh yeah, there's there's a couple <laughs> of different areas that are intriguing here, Anthony. The, you know, with uh, Scott Kelly's mission, the one-year mission, where we were able to compare Scott's genotype and epigenetics to his twin brother, uh, mm. so identical twins, and and one flying in space for a year compared to his brother, and looking at which genes express uh, differently, and uh, you know, certain genes turning on, and. and that was very interesting to see. What it tells you is that the human body adapts a great deal, more so than we than we even give mm. it credit for. It it is always striving to reach homeostasis, uh, even in, in microgravity. Mm. Um, you know, so it's it's an amazing adaptation that that we have the ability for genes to start to turn on and turn off and, and express differently. Um, but also the technology and where technology is going. We are, we are looking at, uh, especially 3D printing, looking at 3D printing for, for Mars. And, and right now we, think of, we uh, think of 3D printing as 3D printing materials like plastics. And, and although we would use it for that, to be able to mm-hmm. 3D print uh, a surgical scalpel or, a, or a, uh, you know, a, a particular splint or something else for Mars, but there's some novel you know, experiments going on right now with 3D printing of human tissue and using 
uh, cell cultures as a substrate for 3D printing. So could you actually, instead of doing a, a graft, a skin graft for somebody with a burn, actually use 3D printing to actually print the skin cells onto the burn? And can you uh, 3D print an organ or can you 3D print uh, medication rather than, than taking every type of pharmaceutical with us to Mars? Could we just take the substrates and then when we needed a particular type of med, uh, punch in the recipe and you know 3D print that medication mm. uh, on an as-needed basis. So 3D printing is is really one area that we are we are delving into a great deal, and it's amazing how quickly that is moving. Interesting. Um, you know, of course, there's always Casper or CRISPR uh, or you know, Casper not. Uh, Looking at CRISPR nine and and some of the technologies for mm-hmm. for genes and such, uh, you know we're we're leery for you know we don't want to go creating uh, you know genetic phenotypes to go fly necessarily or or the ultimate astronaut if you will, uh, but looking at uh, those for repair for you know after someone's had radiation damage or something else. So this will be very interesting to see where those technologies go in the future. Right. Uh, and it's, so we, we're keeping an eye on a lot of those. There are some things that we invent that then, uh, you know, go down into uh, medicine. And there are other things that we take from medicine uh, uh, and take their innovations and incorporate into NASA missions. Yeah, the, the CRISPR technology is super fascinating, right? There's, there's you know, obviously good and bad with, with any new technology that can, can come out. But obviously it presents itself with some great opportunities a lot. You know, I know I, I think a lot about there's a lot of people I listen to the show that think a lot about, you know, you know, when and if do we need to get off the planet to sustain ourselves. Right. And so that's an interesting that's more of like a, a philosophy. It, I can honestly say that's not a religious question. That's just a philosophical. Does one believe that we need to make it off of the planet at some point? Where, where do we go if we go there? Right. Is Mars the best place or is it the closest, you know, two or three Earth like planets? Um, I can imagine the way that you have to think about it is, you know, what's the technology that gets us there? Is it like some sort of, <laughs> you know, warp drive? Is it thrusters? Is it, you know, creating wormholes? Is it Dyson spheres? I don't know. You know, I study all of this stuff just for kind of for fun. One, because I just grew up on comic books and I just, you know, love to stay up to date. But um, yeah, how does one think about like the 3D printing element is pretty interesting. The cell element, the, you know, CRISPR and then really figuring out what's the gene mix to, to have the right bodies in space for the duration. But for scenarios where we may need to go through, I mean, do you have any thoughts on like, <laughs> like wormhole travel or, or, or really making it to Andromeda? Like does the level of thinking, the level of thinking, how we think about like a body that needs to take us there, probably that level of thinking um, has to change so drastically. It feels like maybe we're even a couple sciences away from that. I'm just geeking out with you here. <laughs> no, you're you're perfectly fine to geek out. The uh, you know, NASA looks at uh, far out technologies with our uh, science and uh, technical development mm-hmm. uh, divisions, and it you know we're looking at things from ion engines to all sorts of things, and 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 even uh, with a, a little bit of a skunk works type uh, lab that looks at. Theoretically, uh, you know, what what are the mathematical probabilities of things like warp drive and et cetera? You know, are are those things theoretically possible where you can uh, essentially wrinkle uh, the edges of space to increase uh, our ability to travel in them? Some of those things are way out there, and of course, not in the uh, 
you know, I'll, I'll be uh, dead and gone before a lot of these are invented. But it, it's it's interesting to, to think about them. But what, what I love about this agency is uh, no one ever says, oh, that's a stupid idea. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, everyone's always looking at, well, you know what? That might be theoretically possible. Let's go back and look at it. And uh, it's it's always amazing to look at those things. Certainly for me, it's helpful for me from a radiation perspective. One of our biggest risks is not only solar radiation, but what's called cosmic galactic radiation mm-hmm. uh, or galactic cosmic radiation, depending on, on which way you want to word it. But GCR, mm-hmm. uh, which are these heavy ion particles that go zipping uh, that are you know, coming from outside our solar system and, and passing through our solar system, probably you know, from outside uh, our, uh, our near-Earth, you know, from other galaxies and, and elsewhere. Um, and those can do a lot of damage to uh, you know, the, the human body and the DNA uh, because they're such heavy ions coming very with high energy transfer versus a solar radiation particle. Mm-hmm. And one of the one of the best ways to you know combat that is to decrease your exposure, which means increasing the velocity uh, and shortening the transit time between point A and point B. Uh, so although it'll take us six months to get to Mars now, if we can invent better uh, engine technology to shorten that trip, that actually aids the health of the astronaut by mm-hmm. decreasing that exposure to that uh, high energy transfer uh, radiation. Interesting. Interesting. JD, is there, is there any, I mean, maybe we're a science or two away from this, but maybe is there any organic tissue uh, on earth or that's been discovered or could be designed that could, you know, thinking about it from the other way that is there organic tissue that could be resilient towards, you know, galactic cosmic radiation Um, or or is there a metal, (laughs) you know, is it, or is there a combination (laughs) of the two? Now we're getting into uh, probably comic books and like becoming silver surfers, but (laughs) Um, but is there anything like that along the way? So you shorten the trip. That's one way of doing it. But is there, is there organic tissue that could insulate itself, you know, or a a, a material, you know, Uh, not, not at the speeds, uh, and the energy imparted by those particular particles. Uh, that's the one advantage to solar radiation is we do have things that can block that. And one of the the best, uh, organic materials is actually hydrogen. Right, uh, including, including water that can uh, absorb a lot of that energy, and and I always, uh, you know, it's it's really, uh, uh, you know, taking this very complex aspect of radiation and boiling it down to something simple. But if you think of solar radiation, similar to like a shotgun with mm-hmm. uh, with a limited amount of energy that can be stopped by sandbags and other things, and you think of the uh, the galactic cosmic radiation as a high-powered rifle that can go mm-hmm. through uh, most things, including uh, metals and other objects. That's that's probably one of the better analogies to think of those as. And so, uh, um, unfortunately, the uh, you know with those high-energy transfer particles, even when they slam into a metal, mm-hmm. uh, that, although the metal might stop it, it's going to almost like a croquet ball knock. Uh, another particle off the other side. So you get what's called spalling, mm-hmm. uh, whereas uh, now you've got a high-energized alum- aluminum uh, you know, m- atom that's uh, flying through and uh, 
mm-hmm. uh, you know, about to slam into the individual. So it's a it's it's always interesting learning all of these things in space. Right. It's it's something we don't get to do as doctors very often as to right. uh, uh, talk about these things in a in a room uh, with all the scientists and such. It's super interesting, yeah, to understand the physics of it and how it, how it all breaks down, you know, because it does relate to, you know, how, how to travel, obviously, through space. And then, J.D., so, you know, with your with your family, like my family, like, like my grandkids, would it be reasonable to expect or to plan for that, you know, my grandkids or my great-grandkids, they're going to be living on another planet? Are, are we there yet or are we still far away? We don't need to worry about my grandkids or great-grandkids living on another outside of Earth. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, if you look at throughout history, whether it's uh, when we first came to the Americas, uh, Christopher Columbus and and others setting sail across the ocean, and, and what was the incentive? Uh, there's right. either an economic incentive, uh, you know, is exploration for the sake of it going to be the incentive to cause us to live on another planet? Uh, probably not. It might be the incentive for us to explore and do missions there. But for us to inhabit another world, like uh, whether it's colonizing the moon or Mars, there has to be an incentive more than likely on the commercial side uh, or the political side or the social side. One of those three reasons. And so, uh, you know, if one of those three reasons reaches a tipping point, then it might. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And then, J.D., this is great. I want to be sensitive to your time. um, You know, we talked about your origin story, your, what you're focused on today and things that have you passionate, and then obviously your vision of future. Um, tell us a little bit about, um, I, well, sometimes I always ask like what someone's like personal health habits, you know, one or two health habits that you work on, that you do daily that really seem to work for you, whether it's fitness or nutrition. So that's my question to you, but I also want to take that question a little further. I'm curious on like what type of fiction you look at these days that really has your, your interest. I know for me, I still, when I need to relax, like sometimes I'll throw on an old episode of like Star Trek or Mission Impossible just from the 60s, right? That like there's nothing better than just like looking at those old episodes. So I'm curious on just like your daily life, like, you know, when you, when you want to relax, <laughs> fiction, are you, are you looking at The Expanse? Are you, are you looking at old school Star Trek episodes still, uh, reading comic books? And then, you know, maybe some things that you do to stay healthy. Well, usually my day starts about 4 a.m. Uh, I've got a long commute into Washington, D.C. on the train. So mm-hmm. I'll start at 4 a.m. and usually I'm in the gym at, uh, at 4. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's, that's one of my biggest habits is despite the uh, early hours to, is to hit the gym. And mm-hmm. then uh, uh, obviously trying to maintain a healthy diet. But uh, also, uh, you know, a lot of my free time, I'm looking. We are so busy right now with all of these new vehicles, uh, SpaceX capsule, uh, Boeing capsule, the Orion capsule, the SLS, the Gateway, the Lunar Lander, all of these missions uh, that we are developing and, and working on the human systems uh, for uh, that a lot of my time is spent on reviewing charts and data and emails on, on those particular areas. Uh, but for, for probably a little downtime, um, uh, I actually, from reading, I'm, I'm usually a nonfiction reader. I, I'm yeah. usually reading uh, history uh, and uh, other aspects. Yeah, I think the one I'm reading right now is uh, Team of Rivals, uh, which mm. is a great book. Uh, you know, Doris Kearns Goodwin, uh, 
talking about uh, Abraham Lincoln and uh, and his uh, cabinet at that time. Um, and then, uh, you know, but I think it's a prerequisite uh, that if you're at NASA, you, you kind of have to have a Star Trek gene somewhere in there. So that's... Uh, <laughs> That's probably my one vice, and it doesn't matter whether it's the original series or Discovery. Uh, if, if if Star Trek happens to be on, even if I've seen that episode about 350 times, uh, right. for whatever reason, I, I you know I, I just have to watch that again. My my wife uh, is is amazed how many times that I will I uh, you know despite the fact that she knows I have seen that episode and probably know the script by heart that I will still watch that. But it, it, right. uh, I think part of that is, uh, is uh, Gene Roddenberry's uh, vision of the future being a, a very positive vision. And that's, that's always something that you can uh, latch on to uh, at whether, uh, you know, 20, 20 years ago or even today, I think it's still a necessary commodity to, to hope and think that the best, the best parts of us will carry on into the future. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, no, old school Star Trek, there's just something about it that just, you know, relaxes and stretches your mind. Furthermore, I, my favorite episode of like Mission Impossible is the one where I think Le Leonard Nimoy like guest stars as like a, I think a character named Paris. Um, and that's super fascinating. If I could always time, if I could ever time travel one day, I think my one <laughs> wish would be just to have coffee with Le Leonard Nimoy in his, in, uh, in his prime as he was uh, doing both, both things at the same time. Uh, super, super interesting uh, thoughts on, uh, and very cool about the waking up at 4 a.m. I try and wake up at 4.30 a.m. every single day, and I'm trying to work myself backwards. But for a lot of our listeners that try and wake up early, like whether it's 4 or 4.30, what's what's one or two tips that you have for getting to bed early? Because obviously that's the prerequisite, right? Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I have to uh, turn off the email and the screens uh, at least uh, – yeah, a good thirty or forty minutes before I plan to go to bed. Otherwise, I'm 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 still answering email in my you know in my subconscious, thinking about uh, you know something that somebody sent or something else. If if I do it right up to the point of going to bed, so I I always have to uh, dehiss and uh, do something mindless for about the last uh, thirty minutes to forty minutes, whether that's music or or something else. I love it. I love it. Yeah, no, thanks for the tips. Yeah, you know, I'm always, I'm always trying, a lot of our listeners are always trying to, you know, get up earlier and in the modern world where we have new message types that are coming out all the time, like, you know, we didn't even have like Apple Watch messages, like think like a year and a half ago. And now it's a whole other type of bombardment we're getting. But, uh, but yeah, no, uh, JD, this was great. Apologies if we went over. I can geek out with you for many episodes. Maybe we have a part two of three <laughs> and a part three of three and volumes of the show. But honestly, JD, as you work on different missions and and, and could just share more, you know, obviously about your passions and different things that um, you're touching would be great to have you back on. And um, but thank you for making time, um, JD. What would be a good way for our listeners to connect with you if they'd be interesting and interested in? Engaging. You know, probably the best way is to keep following us on, uh, you know, the www.nasa.gov. Uh, we'll, we'll put a lot of what we are doing on the human health side on that website, mm. uh, but also in the context of the different missions that we are doing. Uh, we are the busiest that we have ever been at NASA. We are developing so many vehicles. Uh, it's busier than when we were in Apollo. It mm. is really probably the the busiest time that I can ever uh, imagine. Uh, and it's not just space vehicles. We're developing uh, 
new experimental aircraft, the low boom aircraft. Uh, there's just a lot of different things going on with commercial crew uh, and helping the commercial uh, spaceflight folks get off the ground, no pun intended, uh, you know, to allow them uh, to take a foothold because we, we need them to, uh, you know, start to take over the low earth orbit part of this so that we can concentrate on the, uh, the exploration missions. And uh, it's, it's exciting to see their successes too, to watch you know, the SpaceX uh, DM-1 mission, uh, mm-hmm. Boeing OFT mission uh, coming up in the you know, months uh, to come, uh, to see Virgin Galactic reach that 50 mile mark uh, as the uh, demarcation for space uh, in December. And again, to fly their first uh, passenger in the back uh, a month ago. Um, and then uh, Jeff Bezos's Blue Origin coming online very soon uh, with their capsule. Um, there's just so much going on. Uh, mm-hmm. And and aside from the U.S., I mean, the, the Indian Space Agency uh, looking to loft their astronauts into space in the next uh, three years. And yeah, it's, it's really a tipping point. It's a $3 trillion industry in the next uh, decade. Uh, mm. I mean, that's, it's an amazing tipping point in space. Um, and so I, I'm waiting for the, you know, when we finally break ground on a space academy. That's what I want. Yes. I, I want to, yeah, that's my retirement job. I want to go <laughs> teach at Starfleet and then, uh, then, then I'll be complete. Yes, yes. And please, you know, let me know if that's being formed. And, and, and please, I, I will mop the floors for Starfleet. Academy. <laughs> <laughs> I will mop the floors. I will serve. I will do whatever it takes to, to, to be a part of that. That would be amazing. Uh, JD, very exciting, uh, you know, very exciting stuff, very exciting on the con- economy, um, on the economic side. Right. And, and but I think most importantly, JD, you're at the forefront of, 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 you know, all things health and medical when it comes to astronauts and NASA. And so it's really super fascinating. I appreciate your leadership in the space. I appreciate your thought leadership in the space. Really appreciate what you're doing. Uh, JD, um, this was great. This was great to have you on the show. Um, and so, uh, uh, so thanks for giving us, you know, we would definitely go to the website and, and check out, you know, the status of all these different missions and what's going on. It's super fascinating. Um, to our listeners, to our listeners out there, uh, this is the Pop Health Show. The show is for people that are passionate about health. Uh, JD, thanks again. Thank you so much for being on the show. We'll love to have you back. Um, and, and thank you so much. Well, Anthony, thanks for the invite. Uh, we appreciate it. And any any chance we get to uh, talk about space, and especially for me talking about healthcare as it relates to space, that's always a good day. Amen. Amen. JD, thank you so much. This was great. Really appreciate it. All right. Thanks, Anthony. Thank you. Take care.